Today's scripture reading is found in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. Again, that is 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. This is about Hanani the prophet. He was speaking to King Asa when King Asa was in a time of trouble with the country of Judah. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on, you will have wars. Well, we're going to continue uh, in short today. Uh, another piece from David, a man after God's own heart. And today's piece I've entitled God's Heart, God's Man, God's Ways. And so this is part two, I suppose we can call in this series. I want to begin by just asking a simple question. How do you make a choice? What do you base uh, your choices on? Perhaps you're buying a car. Perhaps you're buying an appliance. I don't know about you, but for me, one of the first things I do is I go to Consumer Reports. You can purchase even just one month subscription, which is long enough to do all the research on which vehicle, which appliance, which gets the best rating, which car is the most reliable, gets the best gas mileage, and so on and so forth. Which washing machine will get our clothes the cleanest or the quietest, maybe the cleanest and the quietest, I don't know. Which one lasts the longest? And I'm always amazed that when they show prices, sometimes ones that are priced really high score really poorly. Uh, and so that's why I think, well, I'm going to keep coming back here to, to make some of these decisions. Which leaf blower is the most powerful, men? That is the only one we're interested in, right? Especially this time of year. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come see my yard. Every couple days we have to blow off some more leaves. How about when choosing a friend? Are they genuine? Are they kind? Are they fun-loving, fun to be around? Are they honest? Do they share the same interests that you do? Are they spiritual? How about choosing a spouse? Do they love the Lord with all their heart? Do they share your same values, your same thoughts and ideas of raising a family or whatever it may be? Do you share a similar approach to life? Do you have the same priorities? Are they beautiful inside and out? How do you make a choice? As we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, we read, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Here they were longing for a king. They saw all the nations around them, and they had kings, and, and we want to be like them. We need to be like them. And so, in essence, they rejected God's original plan, that God would be their king, that they weren't going to be like everyone else. Hosea 13, verse 11 says, I gave you a king in my anger. It wasn't my plan. I wanted you to look to me. But you said, no, we want to have someone else. Patriarchs and Prophets says this, when men choose to have their own way without seeking counsel from God or in opposition to His revealed will, will, He often grants their desires, there it is, in order that 
Through the bitter experience that follows, they may be led to realize their folly and to repent of their sins. Do we ever do that as parents? I don't think it's a good idea. I think you should think about this or think about that. No, I really want to do okay. And we let them do that thing in hopes that they will, in following their own ways, realize, oh, this perhaps wasn't the, re- the best idea. The quote continues, Human pride and wisdom will prove a dangerous guide. That which the heart desires contrary to the will of God will in the end be found a curse rather than a blessing. Now don't answer out loud, but have you ever had an experience in your own life where you can say, yep, I can attest to that. And that is exactly what was the result of their own decision with Saul. They chose Saul in human pride and human wisdom because he was, well, tall, dark, handsome. That's how people choose kings. Wow, he'll be a good image for Israel. About 40 years old, we think. And yes, Saul had a measure of humility to begin with, but before long he became thin-skinned, hot-tempered, given to seasons of depression and even thoughts of murder. We think it was about 10 years after Saul became king, as the people were on this long drift from God, as they were becoming disillusioned with their leader, that David was born. So there's about this 50-year spread or so that we think between Saul and David. Now, if you've ever gotten your own way and it's all wrong, you may understand how it can be a most disillusioning, insecure feeling to recognize that this wasn't the best idea. And sometimes you can't always put your finger on why. Sometimes over a span of years you can But in this situation, God is gracious. God does not abandon his people. Not in this story, nor in your story. Can I hear an amen? He graciously intervenes with Samuel, and it is good news for the people, but it's bad news for Saul. 1 Samuel 13, 13, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for how long? All time. But you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord. So verse 14, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Here we see God choosing a man And what kind of man? After his own heart. Outside of the Godhead, of course, more has been written about David than any other biblical character. Abraham's given about 14 chapters. Joseph is given about the same. Jacob has 11. Elijah, 10. But to David is dedicated 66 chapters, if my count is correct. And that does not include some 59 references to his life in the New Testament. And it's on two occasions he's called, one right here that we just read, a man after God's own heart. The other is in Acts chapter 13. And we are told that when he was walking in the counsel of God, that he was called a man after God's own heart. 
But friends, this morning I want to ask you, when God chooses a man, when God chooses a woman, a young boy, a young girl, what does he base his choice on? What is he looking for? What is he longing to see in that individual? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 says, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Amen? Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The foolish, the weak, that's who God chooses. Why? God chooses what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. I don't know if you've heard of the new Berkeley version, but it translates these last two verses this way. God also has chosen the world's insignificant and despised people and nobodies in order to bring to nothing those who amount to something so that nobody may boast in the presence of God. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, look around. You'll find many impressive people but that's not who God is looking for because he doesn't want someone to be able to boast in their abilities, in their talents, and so forth. And that's a principle that we tend to forget because many of us are still a lot like the Greeks or a lot like the Jews of old. We look to admire people. We look for role models, for heroes, to be impressed by the best and the brightest, the brilliant people. The successful people. I mean, we have to admit, we are terribly enamored with what's on the surface. And the superficial impresses us much more than we'd like to admit. What gives a presidential candidate a huge advantage these days? Well, they look good on TV. But I hear God saying in these, vo in these verses, that's not the way I make my choices. I take the nobodies. And I turn them into somebody. And in a nutshell, that is the story of David's life, isn't it? God taking a nobody and God turning that nobody into a somebody. So very quickly here, three priorities for God's appointed servant leaders. This is not an exhaustive list, but just three for us to ponder this morning. Because when God scans the earth for potential leaders, He's not looking for angels in the flesh. He's not looking for perfect people. And we will see that David is not perfect. But he's looking for certain qualities in people. And this morning, I want to highlight three priorities that I think are of great value to God. The first one, spirituality. What did we just read? The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. What does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? Seems to me that you are a person whose life is in harmony with the Lord. You are a spiritual person. That means when God says go to the right, you go to the right. When God says to stop, you stop. 
When God says you don't need that in your life anymore, you seek to rid that of your life. And when God says that's wrong, I want you to change, you come to terms with it and you ask God to help you make that change by His grace. Lord, you've asked this, okay, by your grace, help this to to change. That's bottom line Christianity. When you are deeply spiritual, you have a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. It's not just a head knowledge, but it's something that you want to internalize and have part of who you are, your very being, to be a spiritual person in harmony with God, whose heart is completely His, with godly motives, deeply authentic. Is the world starving for authentic people today? For spiritual people today? I mean genuinely spiritual, not just, well, I pray to this over here, or I cross my legs, or I stack these stones, or do whatever. No, I'm talking about genuine Christian spirituality, sensitive to the things of God. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. That's what God longs to do. The New King James translates that last line as loyal to him. The NRSV says, whose heart is true to him. The New Living Translation says, whose heart is fully committed. What's God looking for? He's looking for men and women whose hearts are completely his. Completely. That means there's no locked closets. Nothing is swept under the rug. And when you do wrong, you admit it. You immediately come to terms with it. You're grieved over wrong. You're concerned about things that displease Him. And you long to please Him in your actions. If you're going to please anybody, your concern is above, not outward. And further, you care about the motivation behind your own actions. So three uh, priorities. First is spirituality. And that's the first quality I believe David had. Second is integrity. Integrity. What's the importance of integrity? This verse, Psalm 78, 71, and 72 says, From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands. He led them. How did he shepherd them? With integrity. That's so significant. God is not looking for magnificent specimens of humanity. He's looking for deeply spiritual men and women of integrity. In fact, the Hebrew word for integrity can also be translated as honest to the core. Innocent, pure, wholesome. What you are when nobody's looking, that's integrity. You can fake a good impression, but you can't fake integrity. God is not impressed with externals, friend, but He's always looking for those inward qualities, and He longs to develop those in His children. So spirituality and integrity. And then the third that we want to put on the list here is humility. Where do we first meet David? Where do we meet him? He's a shepherd, faithfully keeping his father's sheep. 
And we'll find out in subsequent chapters that he takes his job very, very seriously. He doesn't have a bad attitude about it. He doesn't let bears or lions take one here and take one there. But he defends them. But let's not overlook the fact that this is a humble task. And in this, God sees humility. God sees a servant heart. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Oh, but you're just being a shepherd. You'll do something powerful when you are asked to do something big. No, you'll be asked to do something big when you're faithful with the thing that's small. God saw a servant's heart in David. Psalm 78, verse 70 says, He also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. David has a servant heart. Psalm 89, verse 20. I found my servant David. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. Friends, when you have a servant's heart, you're humble. You do as you're told. You don't rebel. You respect those in charge. And you serve faithfully and quietly. And you don't care who gets the glory. You don't see that in society much anymore either, do you? But a servant, a true servant, has but one goal, and that is to make the one he or she serves look better. Amen. And in this situation we're talking about, we're talking about to glorify God. I don't need glory. I want God to be glorified. I want God to be uplifted. And if he puts me in this spot as a shepherd of a few sheep, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I think of our deaconesses who quietly serve at every funeral that we have, preparing food for the out-of-town guests and, and the family, provide beautiful spreads downstairs. I think of those that are in that little room back in that small square window doing the live stream. People online just expect things to work, but it takes a team for that to work. I think of our Sabbath school teachers whether it's for the adults, whether it's for the children, preparing their lesson each week, thinking about how they can best illustrate or, or organizing crafts or whatever. What difference does this make? Friends, it makes a difference. You're a product of Children's Sabbath School and so am I. I think of our Adventure and Pathfinder leaders who work with our young people. I don't know if I feel like it tonight. I don't know if I have the energy to go on this camp out. This weather is not exactly what I was hoping for, but they go out. They invest in our young people. I think of our musicians practicing during the week. Faithfully. We tend to think they just show up and they sight read and it just sounds beautiful. They don't. If you're here during the week, you found them practicing, putting their time in, so that we are blessed on Sabbath morning. I think of our deacons. First one to arrive early. You weren't even dressed yet, and they were here. And then long after you get home, they're here. Locking everything up and turning everything off. When they get here, they want to make sure it looks nice and inviting for us to come. And we just take that for granted. We just waltz right in and we waltz right out. But they're here. Keeping us safe, making sure everything is as it needs to be. I only wish we had more support 
for our deacons. More people that would humbly say, I would like to do that. I'm willing to do that. I want to help carry some of that load. So often they don't have enough deacons. They don't have enough that show up who be willing to serve. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I've anointed him. It's as if God says, I don't care about all that slick public image business. Show me a person who has the character and I'll give him the image he needs. I don't require a certain temperament. I don't care if that person is naturally charismatic. I don't care about his stature, how impressive his track record. I care about character. Education 57, a well-known quote, the greatest want of the world. Think about this, the greatest want of the world? The greatest want of the world is the want of men, and I think we could say women, boys, girls, old, young. The greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. But notice the next paragraph. The next line. But such a character is not the result of accident. You don't just fall into a character like that, like you fall into a hole. It's not due to special favors or endowments of providence. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature. And then I love this line, the surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. Surrender of self. So friends, today is communion. A time when we humble ourselves before God, when we ask for forgiveness of sins when we receive the blood and body of Jesus Christ and recommit our lives to him and surrender self for the service of the love of God and the love of our fellow man and what's God looking for well he's looking for people that are spiritual that are in harmony with God whose heart is completely his with godly motives, deeply authentic. He's looking for integrity, honest to the core, innocent, pure, wholesome, when no one's looking, and he's looking for humility, genuine humility, a servant's heart, respect for those in charge who serve faithfully and quietly. Friends, do you see those characteristics and qualities in Jesus when he came? Was he highly spiritual? Absolutely. Was he a man of integrity? 100%. Was he a man of humility? We see it greatest when he puts his arms out and is nailed to the cross. We read this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say strive or push or, or make something happen. It just says Let. Surrender yourself. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, the form of a slave, 
and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the most humiliating death of all, the death of the cross. Friend, that's what God's looking for. People who are spiritual, people who have integrity, and people that are willing to be humble. Is that your desire today? By God's grace to surrender self and say, Lord, I'm just a nobody. But I want you to do a work in me. I desire those qualities. I desire those characteristics. But I know how human I am. But Lord, I just want to surrender self to you today. I want to give you my life today. I want to ask for forgiveness of sin today. I'm asking for a fresh and clean start today and for you to do a work in my life that only you can do. If that's your desire, I ask you to continue with me as we go through this ordinance of humility and also partake of the emblems.